Welcome to Take Control of Your Career, where we discuss strategies to get you in the driver's seat of your career. Here's your host, Lauren Herring. Hello, and welcome to Take Control of Your Career. Today, we are joined by Denise Russo. She is VP, Global VP, Head of Customer Enablement and Readiness at SAP for the CE and X Success Center. She's also an executive coach and a leadership expert, and she's a Forbes contributor. So she has so much to share with us today. I'm really excited for our conversation, Denise. Well, I'm so happy to be here with you and your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, let's just go ahead and get started. Obviously, when I shared your background and your title, there's a lot going on there. So tell us about yourself and your career journey. (laughs) That's a a really twisting and winding story. Uh, I have been here in corporate America for much longer than probably some of the listeners have been alive, I would say. But I started my career uh, really in the music and entertainment business about 30 years ago. And that was while I was still in college. And uh, there's some certain, a lot of different questions you can take from there in our time together today, but it, it turned from taking skills, talents, and abilities that were in one industry and transferring them into another industry, which has been about the basis of my career for maybe the last 12 years or so. Excellent. And, you know, going back to your personal career as well, I mean, you have this rich experience in talent management, in coaching, in HR, and then you recently shifted to be more directly in a customer-facing role and so, or supporting your organization in uh, supporting your customers. So tell us about how you're bringing some of those more kind of HR and coaching skills into how you support your customers. I think part of it is just being able to put your feet in these shoes of someone else. So going back to the idea of, you know, who are you for? And so when you think of how you serve customers, in my case, we're and in your case, Lauren, we're customers of other things in life. And so when you think about how you'd like, it's like the golden rule, right? Treat others how, the, how you would like to be treated or even better than you are being treated. And so when you think of how do you serve customers, you have to come at it from a point of view of the customer. And so bringing the HR principles or talent management principles into as a leader, remembering that your team are your customers, and then being able to come from a viewpoint as well of, well, what would the customer like? And if I was the customer, what would they be thinking? And what would they be wanting? And what would they be needing? Because at the basis, you're talking about the wants and the needs. And then above that are the things that are the extra frosting on the cake, I suppose. But I would say, first and foremost, it's being able to put your feet in the shoes of those you're serving. Yeah. And you said it perfectly. We're all customers of something. So we can all relate in some form or another. Um, and I know that you're a, um, a, a big reader. So when we talked last, you mentioned you're reading a book called Know What You're For, and it really spoke to you. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with this in terms of understanding your, your deeper purpose as a leader. So what do you want to be known for in your career and in how you help other leaders? Oh, it's such a good question. It's such a great book. So anybody that's interested that likes to read as well, this is a fairly new book out by an author named Jeff Henderson, 
And the book really is a challenge to corporations as well as individuals to think about not just being the best in the world, but being known as the best, whatever it is for the world. And so I would say thinking about for myself, I just want to be known as someone and for someone that is for people, that is for the uh, betterment of our world, whether it's our environment or our social responsibility or for our future generations or for one another. And, uh, and so it's hard to encapsulate that in just a short sentence, but there's a difference between being the best in the world and being best for the world. And I'm hoping that my legacy will be that I can be known as somebody who is for the world and for people. Wow. I love the, the passion you have behind that. And that's one of the things as a, as a coach and helping other leaders maximize their offerings to the world. Tell us maybe some examples of how you've been able to leverage that kind of a concept in your working with other executives in helping people get to that deeper purpose. Ooh, that's another really great question. I think it has to do with a couple of different things. There is the aspect of being a very active and good listener and being able to digest and interpret what somebody is sharing with you so that you can ask very intentional good questions back. So as a coach, it's our objective to ask good questions. In fact, John Maxwell, one of my uh, favorite mentors, wrote a great book called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And and good coaches ask great questions. So that would be the first. I think also when you think of uh, how to help others, it can come from a place certainly of having walked your own journey. If you're a mentor, if you're a coach asking good questions, but I think in both cases, it's about becoming endeared to someone. And so you mentioned I'm, I'm an avid reader, so I'll give you another one. There's an awesome book from another mentor of mine named Ricardo Gonzalez. The book is called The Six Stages of Cultural Mastery. And what Ricardo talks about in his book is that at the foundational level, you just get to know someone and what your differences are. But as you move through the stages of cultural mastery, you become aware and sensitive to the things that that are the same and that you can be endeared to even though they might be different. So I would say in helping executives, whether I'm working with coaches, coaches, mentors, mentees, or even people that I lead in my own uh, role at work, it foundationally is about being a good listener, being able to be a leader who can know the way as well as show the way, as well as becoming endeared to others' thoughts, even if those thoughts and actions are different than maybe what you would have for yourself. And that's such an important concept right now, especially with this whole uh, shift, I would say in the last year or two towards a, a deeper sense of DE&I, uh, where it's not just a surface level, check the box kind of thing, but where organizations are recognizing that we really want diversity because of the value that it adds the organization and the richness that it brings the conversation. So I think that really aligns with what you're talking about with you know, differences can be endearing, not something that need to cause us challenge, um, but it, it, it's a different reframe for it. Absolutely. I love that they have now started to add in the B at the end because mm -hmm. diversity is what makes us different. Inclusion is what makes us the same, but at the end, it should be around how do we belong and how do we belong in this earth and in this world together? And how can we be there for other people? So bringing it back to 
back, back to what, what you're for, uh, which is for being there for other people. Um, going back to uh, how I mentioned earlier that you're a Forbes contributor, I read one of your recent blogs and you go into detail about a concept called Ikigai. So tell us about that because it's a really interesting concept that I think people should know about. Oh, I love, I love Ikigai. So Ikigai is a Japanese concept and uh, it, probably about, I guess, six or seven months ago, maybe a little longer than that now, someone introduced me to this concept and it doesn't have a direct English translation, but essentially what it is, is it's a two-part word that uh, ultimately stands for finding the center of your purpose in life. And as I've gone through my research, even since you and I first met and talked, I'm starting to learn and dig in even deeper to some of the thoughts around the idea that Ikigai isn't about finding something that's far off in the future. It's about finding the sense of your purpose in the everyday moments, even just in today. What is it that you want to be able to accomplish and do and be and be aware of in your today? Now, there's some schools of thought that say that Ikigai is about basically a blend of four elements in a work environment, which would be things that you're good at, things that you love doing, things that change the world and things that you can get paid for. And that's great if you apply it in a work setting. But if you also apply it to your to your just every day, you're really just thinking about what is the purpose of your breath as you're living into today? And I think it's just a beautiful way of thinking about how do you make today matter? We know that yesterday is past. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed for any one of us. But how can you truly make Today Matter. In fact, that's actually another John Maxwell book called Today Matters. And it, it, it truly is a very foundational but basic thought that if you can wake up in the morning and set your feet on the ground and making today matter for other people and being able to do the best you can with the things that you were skilled and gifted with, that ultimately by the end of the day, you may have left a little bit extra to the world that wasn't there before you woke up. Beautifully said. And that's one of those things where I think Right now in our world, we're seeing a lot of shifting going on in the workplace. Uh, there, everyone's talking about the great resignation and you know, people are thinking about, oh, you know, this place isn't right for me anymore. And you know, hopefully something else is right. Uh, yeah, let's look at that in the concept of Ikigai where, you know, um, where you're thinking about what is it that you really want for this next phase of your career. If you are looking for something different, if you are looking to gain some additional clarity. So how have you, how do you recommend people think about it in those situations in the concept of Ikigai? Uh, well, I'll give you two more books actually, because these are all things that help me. So one of those books is called Do What Matters Most by Robin Steve Schallenberger. And what that book talks about is it really walks you through how to look at uh, time. How do you use your time in your day, in your week, in your month, and in your journey throughout life to do what really matters most? And it's up to you to be able to break that apart, to figure out what are the things that matter most and why would you define those things that matter the most that way? The second book that I would suggest is a book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Mm. And that particular book isn't a business book. It's a fiction book, but I absolutely 
love that book. It's one book where I felt like I could read it in one sitting and I was inside the story of that book. And what that one really talks about is that you may have your eyes focused on something in the future and be able to go after something that you can envision in your dreams for your future, but you can also miss what's right in front of you. And so I won't give any spoilers on the book, but the whole point of that book, as well as the other, is to enjoy the process of the journey. And the same goes for Ikigai. If you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you love, that you're good at, that you can get paid for, that changes the world. If you can look at those elements, and if any of them are out of balance, then those are your opportunities to learn. I'm a big fan of saying that life is all about continuous learning and being able to look at the areas that you want to grow. You were mentioning growing a moment ago. And so when you're looking at the areas where you need and want to grow into, that's how you discover those areas that need a little bit of extra tender, loving care. I think about, Lauren, I have a garden in the backyard. And so there's certain plants that do well and there's others that struggle. And so it could be that the soil mixture isn't right for one. It could be that the sunlight in one area is not perfect for the conditions. It could be that one plant is planted next to a plant that doesn't really thrive well. It could be that another plant is planted next to weeds who are crowding out the plant. In fact, yesterday I was looking at this tree that I just absolutely love that is in a pot but I noticed that the tree started looking a little bit sad. I suppose if you could call it sad or an emotion. And as I lifted it out of the pot, I noticed that the roots were growing up around the pot and it had become root bound. And so I had watched this really awesome masterclass by uh, a gardener named Ron Finley. He's known as the gangster gardener out of California. And uh, I'm a big fan of his work, but he was talking about in this masterclass video and you can watch his videos for free, I'm sure on YouTube. I just so happen to be watching it on Masterclass, which is an amazing app for anybody who wants to learn fun things like cooking or uh, music or gardening or even business tips. But he was talking about the importance of not allowing your plants to become root bound because the roots then are trying so desperately to have a, a, a way to spread out. It's sort of like the concept of you know spreading your wings. And so when I think about growing and I think about the garden, it could be that you have to just look at the conditions that are around you. And the best gardeners also know that you have to prune away to be able to open up more doorways for more growth as well. There's so much to unpack in that answer. I love everything that you were just talking about. So first I'm going to give an, a, another thumbs up for The Alchemist because I also love that book. And you know, if, if you, uh, especially right now when we're talking about the great resignation and there's this perspective of, you know, the, um, that someplace else, the, the grass is always greener, you know, really just being aware of the journey, the process that, uh, that you're going through right now and looking at, you know, really reflecting on what's not working or what is working, you know, in your current area, I think is uh, so valuable and not just immediately jumping and hoping that that's going to be the answer to all your prayers. So uh, a great uh, guidance for how to take a more thoughtful process. And obviously in your background, being a coach, uh, we do career coaching, you know, engaging someone in that kind of a process to help you figure out what is it that you really want and don't just jump for the sake of jumping is uh, another um, thing to consider there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, making decisions is really hard, isn't it? Because not making a decision is also a decision. Yep. 
And you can run towards something or run away from something. Either way, it's still movement, I suppose. And in fact, in one of the articles that I had written for uh, Forbes Coaches Council was about the poem, uh, the, the Path Less Traveled. And it was trying to unpack the idea that this, this person had a choice and he was at a fork in the road or she was at a fork in the road of saying, do I go this way where, where the path is tread uh, and it's worn and a lot of people are going that way. It's the comfort zone way, but there's a lot of traffic that way. Or do I go this other way that may be unfamiliar to me? But one thing that struck me when I read that poem that I hadn't quite seen before is it didn't say to take the road never traveled or the path never traveled. It said to take the one less traveled. So the question as you're making decisions is, well, why is it less traveled? Is it less traveled because no one ever came back? Is it less traveled because it's more dangerous? Is it less traveled because it takes longer to get to where you go? It does it, is it less traveled because people are just afraid to try something that's unfamiliar on the more traveled pathway? And so as that person in the poem was standing at this crossroads and deciding, there's so many questions that go in your mind about what's the right decision. But if you get paralyzed and don't make a decision, you'll never know. And I think the best part about thinking of, of that story is that nowhere did it say that the person couldn't turn back. You could start down a path and realize it's not the right path, but it doesn't say you can never turn back. It just says that you have to take one step forward. Perfect. Yeah, I, I even had that experience myself in my own career when I committed early on to join Impact Group, which is a family business, uh, which I now run. But I had no interest as a young person and certainly in high school growing up with this, I was like, no, that's not what I want out of my career. I want to, I want to spread my own wings as, as you were talking about earlier. And, you know, some family situations some health situations came up with my family. I ended up moving back to St. Louis and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll try it. I'll dabble in impact group. And that was the one, one of the permissions that I gave myself was that if, this doesn't work, then I can always do something different. If I don't like being back in St. Louis, then I can do something different. And, you know, it, it miraculously for me, it was a wonderful professional choice. And I've enjoyed being back in my hometown way more than I ever thought that I would have. And so it was a road, it was an unexpected road for me to be traveling, but one that in the end, I'm very glad that I did. But I talk about that all the time, about the importance of giving yourself permission to change your mind. I love that you shared that because another thing that strikes me with what you were sharing is the idea that all roads lead home. And, and the same holds true for me. I went to uh, Atlanta, Georgia for about 20 years of my adult career away from my family who were all in Florida. And at some point in my journey, which is much longer, maybe I can come back and be an invited guest another day to talk about rising above your obstacles in your life and turning obstacles into opportunities. But there was a significant uh, experience that happened to me in Atlanta in about 2009 that brought me back to Florida. And so I've been in Florida since. And being near my family and, and especially going through this pandemic when you're watching the frailty of humanity and the frailty of life and, and how important it is to be surrounded by people that love you, that you love back is just, for me, it's the most important stage at this part in my life. And when I was younger, you think that, that tomorrow is guaranteed and that, uh, and that you'll always have that. 
So I love the story of you going back home, not knowing if it was the right decision to make, but I'm sure there were a lot of things that made your decision ultimately what it became. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I certainly, above all, probably most value being close to family nowadays. Uh, so speaking of family, I know you have a very special relationship with your daughter and you are actually an employee in your daughter's business. So tell us about this. This is so cool. Oh, I love to talk about her. My, my daughter and my son are my joy. They are my most favorite humans that walk the face of the earth. So my son is 17. His name is Vincent. And my daughter, Olivia, is 19. And when Olivia was 10 years old, it was a couple years after this experience that we had in Atlanta. So in short, our home was destroyed by a federally declared disaster, a flood that destroyed our entire community. And a few years after we were rising above that that obstacle in our lives, she decided to start her own organization called Save the Earth Projects, or STEP for short. And it was an initiative to be able to get people to come together and just take steps forward to doing something good for the world. Back to the whole guy, something that you're good at, that you love doing, that changes the world. It just so happened she was 10, so she didn't need to make any money at it, but it became her personal guy. So Olivia started a project called Leave a Good Footprint, where she collects gently used shoes that are deployed around the world to people in need. And it starts microenterprises, it keeps shoes out of landfills, that take in upwards of 100 or more years just to decompose the rubber. It's been a beautiful experience to be able to let someone else walk in your shoes. So this year is her 10th anniversary. Can't even believe it. She started when she was 10. I've been working for her for 10 years and, uh, and we don't make any money. So we're kind of like a no profit, but uh, it's still an initiative where we put our, our sweat and tears into the love for being able to do something good for the world. And so if you are listening to this and you live in the United States, we are able in partnership with Zappos to offer free shipping for any amount of shoes that you may like to donate. And thanks to so Souls for Souls, which is another uh, company that we partner with in the United States. They distribute all of the shoes for us for Olivia's project called Leave a Good Footprint. You can find out more information on the first post, the pinned post of her Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash save the earth projects with an S on the end. And we'd love for you to join us in leaving a good footprint. Wow. I can't wait to go check that out. And now I have a place to send all of my gently used shoes and what amazing uh, vision and I'm sure tenacity and just making it happen for her to build partnerships with Zappos and some of these huge organizations. That's just incredible. Thank you. You know, she started out only expecting to collect a hundred pairs of shoes because we were trying to do a a project for our local YMCA. And in her first month, she collected 1500 pairs of shoes. And we thought, wow, you know what, there's something more to this than meeting the eye. And so now in our 10th anniversary, Olivia has surpassed 75,000 pairs of shoes donated around the world. So it's been significant. She's won some major global and national and local awards for her community service excellence, but you'll find her to be one of the most humbling, kind, introspective, wise spirits that you'll have met. In fact, hopefully she can come and be a guest for, for you one day. I'd love for you to have her because now she's an adult. She's going to be 20 years old this year. And, uh, and so it's just a joy to be able to see her having taken an idea and put her feet behind it and to take a step forward and to take action into something that's really made such a difference in the world. 
Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all your expertise on the coaching. So many learnings and great book recommendations. I think we'll have that in the notes of all the book recommendations. You've given us such a great framework to think about careers and decisions and also making a difference in the world through uh, Ikigai, through what you're for, and especially through Olivia, your daughter. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Denise. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. I hope to come back one day soon. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Take Control of Your Career with Lauren Herring. Be sure to check the show notes for our guests' information. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show so that you don't miss an episode. Want to get control of your career now? Visit www.earnyourworthcareers.com. You can get your own career coach or download a free ebook on best practices to ask for a raise.